You've been in historical places probably where you've thought, if these walls could talk, what would these walls tell us? There are a lot of things that walls could tell us. And we've been talking about some walls over the past several weeks. Over the last nine weeks, we've looked at the walls in Jerusalem, and they've been telling us some stories. They've been teaching us some things about our lives. As a matter of fact, we know that God uses this story to teach us about how he wants to build our lives, his church, and his kingdom. These walls were destroyed. The story tells us about how these walls were rebuilt. These walls were preserved in God's word, not just because they're relics, but they're preserved for us, and the story behind them is preserved for us. We learn from these walls the significance of the life that God has planned and the plan that he has for his church and his kingdom. They're not found in China. They're not found in Berlin. They're not found in Springfield, Illinois. They're found in Jerusalem because 400 years before Jesus came, these people decided they were going to follow the instructions of God through a man named Nehemiah, one of the greatest leaders of all times, followed the instructions to rebuild this wall and to come back and become a brand new city, really, because of what God had planned for them. In this series, we've talked about how the best life is the life that God builds. The blessed life is found only in building God's kingdom, not my own, not health and wealth, but spiritual blessings, becoming like Christ, fulfilling his purpose for my life. That's found in building his kingdom. God is a building God, and he chooses to build through his people. Now, if these walls that we've talked about could talk to us, they would tell us about how the nation of Israel was invaded by the Babylonians and taken into captivity for 70 years. They would talk about how the entire city was destroyed, how the wall itself was destroyed. They would talk about how after finally a remnant comes back to join the remnant that was still there, the walls were still a mess. The gates were still burned, and how those things had significance. Walls speaking of separation and distinction, no distinction between God's people and the outside world. The gates talking about authority and power. They had no authority and power in their lives. They would talk about how the city itself was a rubble pile. It was a mess, a disaster area. The glory of God was in reproach. The walls would tell us about how God chose a man, a layman, like every one of you here today to go back and to lead his people in rebuilding the walls. And if these walls could talk, they would talk about how in 52 days' time, chapters 1 through 7, it's all about how the walls were rebuilt in 52 days' time, in record time. And then the walls would talk about how in chapters 8 through 10, what happened with the walls then needed to happen in the hearts of the people. Their hearts needed to be rebuilt. And that's exactly what happened. Their hearts were rebuilt. They were revived. They've got a fresh start in life. And if these walls would talk, they would then tell us about chapters 11 through 13. And this is where we're going to close our series on this book this morning. Chapters 11 through 13. If you look first at chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 26, you're going to see another list of names. We talked about a list a few weeks ago. There's another list of names here. This list is important. It's important for the same reason. Everybody's significant. And God knows your name, but it's important for a different reason too. What this is, is a census that's taken after the walls were rebuilt. And it's a list of everybody that populates the city. Here's why this is significant. The population is now coming back. 
Now that the walls are rebuilt, the temple's been finished, the gates are in place, the people's lives, their hearts have been rebuilt and refreshed, the population is now once growing again. If you want to experience growth in a church, if you want to experience kingdom advancement, step number one is that you've got to get your hearts right with God. Your hearts, the foundation of your life, your hearts, our hearts need to be rebuilt. That's one of the reasons we're in this series. I want to see God bring increase in this church family, not just for the sake of numbers, but spiritually. And I want to see people come to Christ. And I hope you do too. But if we want that to happen, step number one is we got to make sure that our hearts are right, that we, are, we have been rebuilt, that we are refreshed, that we have an opportunity for a fresh start with God. And so they did that. Now the city is coming back. Then if you look at chapter 12, verses 27 through 43, you're going to see a dedication service to the wall. It's a great celebration, a huge party, dedicating what God has done, celebrating what God has done. And then if you look at verses 44 through 47, you see a dedication service to the temple. They hadn't done that. The temple had been finished, so they do the same thing. They dedicate the temple. Now, if you jump ahead to chapter 13, we're not going to spend time in chapter 13, not because it's not important, but because for the sake of time and some of the themes we've already visited, but if you look at chapter 13, Nehemiah has to rebuke the people again. It's a warning. He's saying, listen, you guys need to make sure you, now that your hearts are right, now that the city's back, don't compromise again. You remember what happened last time. Don't compromise. Your character, your life, it matters. He warns them in three areas. He warns them in the area of relationships. They need to be faithful in their relationships. They need to be faithful in regard to worldliness. And they need to be faithful in generosity. We talked about that last week. Not neglecting the house of God. That also relates to dedicating the temple. They, they need to make sure that they don't neglect their faithfulness in terms of how they live, but also in terms of the house of God. We're going to focus today, so many things that we could talk about, but today we're going to focus on that section, verses 22 through 43 of chapter 12. Looking at this celebration, this dedication of the wall, celebration of what God has already done. And if these walls could talk around Jerusalem, they would talk about being completed in 52 days. They would talk about people getting their hearts right with God. They would talk about a revival that swept through the, the city. They would talk about this celebration that takes place, this party. These people had joy. They had fun. They celebrated what God had done. And they went from being a city of rubble to a people of joy. And we, as God's people, there are a lot of things that should characterize God's people, but one thing that should always characterize God's people is that we should be a people of joy. Not happy all the time, not fake smile, whatever, but we should be described as a people of joy. And we see here a huge celebration of joy, the people celebrating what God had done in their lives. God's people are to be joyful people. Today we're going to talk about what that means, starting in verse 27 of chapter 12. So we're going to read these verses through 43. You follow along with me. At the dedication of the wall, this is a dedication service. Again, the walls are complete. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate. The key word here is celebrate. This is a joyous dedication. The joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. All different types of worship instruments 
voices singing, celebrating is going on here. And we're not going to read verses 28 and 29, but what you see is that there are singers gathered from all around Jerusalem. The Levites come together, the wall's back, all of this stuff has happened, the city's now back, revival's taking place, and the Levites say, hey, we're going to have a huge worship celebration. We need lots of people to participate. They send out word and they bring in all these people to celebrate, to worship, all these singers, because they want to celebrate God and what he's done. Verse 30, after the priest and Levites had purified themselves. They purified the people, the gates, and the walls. Now, more than likely, they sprinkled blood to purify these things. I mean, this was the symbol. Sacrifice, a blood sacrifice had to be made to purify people from their sins, and that's how they would dedicate things to the Lord. They had dedicated their hearts to God. Now they're, they're symbolizing that by purifying the walls and the people. The celebration of the wall would have been empty without the rebuilding of their hearts. This is why this is important. The significance here is they couldn't dedicate the wall without first having dedicated their hearts. It would have been empty. It would have been meaningless. But their hearts are right with God. So now they are having this celebration and they are dedicating the walls, the gates, the people. Verse 31, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall and appointed two large processions. Just imagine a choir, a huge choir. You divide it in two, and they begin to just take, take off all the way around the wall. That's what this is. This is this procession. They gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall, the other toward the dung gate. Again, they just separated, went around this two-mile stretch, and met on the other side, met in the middle. The wall's probably about eight or nine feet thick, so they just walked on top of the wall, these two choirs, singing, worshiping the Lord. Verse 32, Hosea and half the leaders of Judah followed, Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah. Some of the priest's sons had trumpets, Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, and son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, and Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hananiah, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went in front of them, this procession. At the fountain gate, they climbed the steps of the city of David on the ascent of the wall and went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second Thanksgiving procession went to the left and followed it, I followed it with half the people on the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, above the gate of Ephraim, and by the old gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of, of a hundred to the sheep gate. Y'all remember the map all the way around, the different gates, the, how they repaired those to begin with. They split up in sections. Well, now they're just they're walking along the top of the wall in these two processions. The people are following with Nehemiah. The two Thanksgiving processions, they stopped at the gate of the guard. The two Thanksgiving processions stood in the house of God, so they did, so did I and half of the officials accompanying me, as well as the priests. Eliakim, Maaseah, Manamin, Micaiah, Elianai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. Then the singers sang with Jezrahai as the leader. And then skip to verse 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and they rejoiced because God had given them great joy. So they had reason to rejoice. 
The women and the children also celebrated, and this is key, Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard from far away. Our salvation is free, but our celebration and our worship of the Lord should not be cheap. We have reason to celebrate the Lord. These people had their whole city rebuilt. Not only that, more importantly, they had their hearts revived and rebuilt. So they are celebrating what God had done. There's so much celebration, in fact, their joy is heard from far off, from far away. Our question for today is, are you joyful? Not are you happy. Happiness comes and goes. We'll talk about that. But are you joyful? Is there joy in your hearts? If the walls of your life could talk, would they describe a person who is filled with joy and who celebrates the joy, with joy, all that God has done and all he's going to do? That's what we want to look at this morning. How do we measure our joy? First of all, celebration is to be our response to the work of God in our life. Celebration should be the response to the work that God does in our life. What a celebration they had. Look at the bookends here. Verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving, with singing, accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. Then verse 43, the other bookend. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard from far away. Now, if you study chapter 12, you're going to see the word singing eight times, the word rejoicing seven times, and the word thanksgiving six times. I mean, this, is, this isn't a funeral service. This isn't a library where everybody's quiet. People's you know, tears aren't streaming down their faces. There's a time for that. What this is, is just plain and simple. It's an all-out knockdown party. I mean, they're celebrating loudly what God has done in their life. Make no mistake, this is a worship service, but they are celebrating loudly what God has done in their life, and they have every right to do that. They have every reason to do that. When you think about their before story, when you think about where they came from, a city of brokenness, in sin, no separation between them and the outside world, living in fear of their enemies, and, and reasonably so, a small remnant of what they once were. And then when you fast forward and you look at their after story, the walls had been a rubble pile. The gates had been burned. No separation, no distinction, no authority. Now the, the gates are in place. The walls are rebuilt and they're stronger than ever. The people's hearts have been rebuilt The population is now coming back. The city's growing. The city's strong before. No gates, no walls. Gates are burned, death, destruction. Now they have life, they have growth, and they have victory. They have every reason in the world to celebrate, every reason in the world to be thankful. They knew as they stood on that wall going around in two miles, they knew as they stood on that wall, they knew one thing, and that's that God had accomplished a work in their city, and in their lives. God had done it. Look back at chapter 6, verse 16. When all of our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that, that this task had been accomplished by our God. A running theme through this book from the beginning when God called Nehemiah until now, this celebration, God's hand was in it. God had done it. Now you think about your before story, my before story. 
lost in sin, separated from God, in the world, and of the world. No separation between us and the world. Held captive to the enemy. No purpose, no meaning in life, no direction, nothing. Lost. Now think about your after story. If you're a child of God, you've been saved, rescued, set free. You've got a new, fresh start in life, a new heart, a new life. Your heart has been rebuilt. You have a new purpose, which is the glory of God. You have a new destiny, which is heaven. Your heart's been rebuilt. Your life has been rebuilt. We have purpose. We have meaning. Our lives now count for something. We have a destiny, which is heaven. And when we stand on the foundation of our lives that God has built, we know just that, that God did it. We have reason to celebrate. God has rescued us from sin and death. We can worship Him in spirit and in truth. We don't have to go to the temple. We can do it every day of our lives. And one day we're going to see Him face to face. We're going to see the face of Jesus. Where there will be no more sickness, suffering, death, pain, no more trials of life. When we think about our before and after story and that God did it, we have reason to celebrate. When those people, when the walls were done, the gates were in place, Their hearts were rebuilt. They were complete. When Jesus died on the cross, before he gave his life, when he said, it is finished, our salvation is complete in him. Our destiny is heaven. We have every reason in the world to be joyful people who celebrate. Colossians 2.10, and in him you've been made complete, and he is the head and rule over all and rule and authority. Who we are in Jesus what he's doing in our, what he has done, what he's doing now in our lives, what he's promised to do in the future, we have reason to be joyful. You know, something I don't understand, I will never understand, is people who call themselves Christians, who walk around with a Bible in one hand and seems like a tombstone in the other with a frown on their face. Jesus loves you, right? I mean, I don't understand that. I mean, yeah, there are going to be times where you're, you're happy, there are going to be times where you're sad, but in all of that, we should be people of joy. But we have heaven to look forward to. We've been rescued from the enemy. We don't need to be afraid of the enemy anymore. We've been rescued. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, joy is not a nicety in the Christian life. It is an absolute necessity. Now listen to this. And this is absolutely true. A Christian without joy is a contradiction in terms. Because if you have Jesus, you have joy. Now you may not be accessing that. You may not be receiving that joy. But if you are a Christian, you should be filled with joy. Now let's define joy. Let's make sure we understand this. Three words to define joy. Sorrow, source, and strength. Now that sounds crazy, but three words. Sorrow. If you have joy, it doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. It doesn't mean that you walk around with a fake smile on your face, that you've got it all together, that life is peachy, No, that's not what this is talking about. There may not be a smile on your face, but there's a smile in your heart because you have Jesus and you have contentment and you have peace. Sorrow. Even in the midst of sorrow, we have joy. And, And one of the things that will help us to understand this is to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is outside in. It's based on the circumstances of life that change from day to day, right? Joy is inside out. And it's based on Christ who never changes, who's constant, who's always there, never leaving us or forsaking us. That's the difference. 
We can have sorrow. You know, think about a believer at a funeral home. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many funerals I've done in my ministry. And the difference between those who know Christ at a funeral and those who don't, I mean, the difference is amazing. Those who know Christ and who lost a loved one who knows Christ, yeah, there's tears on their cheeks. They're sad. They're grieving. But in their heart, there's a warm sense of joy because they know that person is now with Jesus. And they know there's hope beyond this life. That's joy. It's not happiness. It's confidence and assurance, blessed assurance that comes. Not a fake smile 24 hours a day, but joy in our hearts from the inside out. The second word, source. How do we do this? I mean, the the issue is that the source of our joy cannot be us or our circumstances. We can't do it. The source of our joy, verse 43, God made them rejoice. Jesus is the source of our joy. If you look at John 15, 11, Jesus said this. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to read that in the New Living Translation. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, I'm going to show you what that means this morning with just a quick little illustration. All of us have the opportunity to have the joy that God offers. The question is, will we take advantage of that? Will we accept the joy that that God offers us? I've got a pitcher of water here, and we're going to say that this water represents joy, okay? This is the joy that God wants to give. Jesus offers us joy because he offers us himself. And when he comes into our lives, he brings joy and places it in our lives. Now, you've got some people out there that are like this cup right here. They got, Jesus offers joy, and they're not having it. I mean, they're just not going to accept it at all. They're, they're just, some people are not going to accept Christ. It's a sad reality, but it is a reality nonetheless. Some people, Jesus offers, they say no. Then you've got other people who they accept Christ, but, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to fill you with joy, but they allow the stress of life, the pressures of life, just to drain the joy right out of them. I mean, Jesus is offering it, but they're not trusting in him from day to day. Yeah, they're saved, but they're just not trusting in Christ from day to day. So they're drained of all their joy. Well, you've got other people that saved or not, some even saved, who Jesus offers them joy, but they're, they're hanging on to some sort of sin. They're living in sin. Their loyalties are divided, and they're so distracted and so consumed with this sin, you can't even see the joy that's in their lives. There's there's just, it's like it doesn't even exist. Jesus is offering it, but they're just not willing to accept it, or they can't accept it because their loyalties are divided between him and some sin that exists. Hate, anger, sin, bitterness, any of these things can cloud our lives and keep us from experiencing joy. We want to be the fourth cup. Those people who, hey, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We experience ups and downs. But we are filled with the joy of Jesus. And according to John 15, 11, we're not just filled. We're overflowing with the joy of Christ every single day. We're not always happy, not always perfect, but we're people who know Jesus and we're filled with joy. And we can face any circumstance of life because it's his strength. The source is not ourselves. It's him. It's his strength. That's what I want to be. I don't know about you, but I want to be overflowing. That's what Jesus said. He said, I will make you overflow with joy, but he gives us a choice in it. So how are you defined? Is he the source of your joy? And that leads us to the, se- the third word, strength. We have to know 
then in the storms of life, the supernatural joy inside of you is what gives you strength from day to day. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, The joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. If you want strength from day to day, it comes from the joy that exists. you got, you got to be that cup that overflows. If you are, you'll have strength from day to day. All that he's done, all that he's going to do. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions, all right? Just, just bear with me. Let's say you are, let's say you take a clipboard, okay? And you go around to the 30 people in your life that know you the most. And the question you ask them is from day to day, am I a person that exhibits on a scale from 1 to 10, how much joy do I exhibit from day to day? What do you think the, pe- the responses of those people would be? Now, some of you, you'd be off the charts. Some of you, maybe not so much. And some of us, it depends on which day, right? But overall, consistently from day to day, over a period of time, how much joy do I exhibit in my life? Each of us. I mean, we need to think about that. We people that are described as being people of joy. Hey, let's, let's do this corporately. For people that come through these doors, do they leave here going, boy, those people at Wall Highway, they are filled with joy. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together, but they're filled with joy. There's something different about those folks. You know, they're not fake. They're not a fake smile. I got it all together, but they're secure and they're confident. There's joy in their lives. Fox News did a a, a report, an article a few years back where they did some research. And I think it was in in, uh, Great Britain. They they surveyed some folks and said, what do you think the greatest age to, to the happiest age is? Uh, They surveyed people over 40. And without question, the overwhelming response was the age 33. 33 was considered the happiest age, and here's why. They said you're old enough to have some experience and still young enough to do something about it. Well, I don't know about happiness, but joy is not dependent upon an age. No matter what age you are, you can have joy. Because the key to joy is having Jesus. You can have joy in your heart if you have Jesus in your heart and in your life. Now, 33, side note, 33 is a pretty happy age. Scholars say that that's the age that Jesus gave his life for you and me. Not, not necessarily happy for him having to do that, but happy. I'm happy about that. How about you? Amen. Happiness. Different than joy. Joy is from the inside out and is based on Christ. Number two, if we're going to measure our joy, we need to realize that the nations need to hear our Jesus celebration. Another characteristic here, they're celebrating, and the nations should hear our celebration. Man, I love the last part of verse verse 43. It's so very rich. Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. Now, far away breaks my heart, first of all, because there are people in our lives that are close physically, but their hearts are far away from Jesus. Friends, family, neighbors, they don't know Christ. Far away breaks my heart because logistically there are people who are far away, over 3,000 unreached people groups. Did you know that you could parachute into the middle of some of these unreached people groups? You could walk for a week and never see a Bible, never see a Christian, never see a church. They're so far away from Christ. That breaks my heart. But what does bring me joy here is that their voices were heard far away. Hey, they had a good choir. It was heard from far away. All those things are good. They're important. Those things, that's not what was heard. What was heard? They're rejoicing. Not even their voices. They're rejoicing 
was heard from far away. The nations should hear our rejoicing. They had joy on the wall. Okay, they're on the wall celebrating. There was joy inside the wall. New city, new hearts, fresh start. But their rejoicing was heard outside the walls. Those people who did not know the Lord heard the rejoicing. A nation that was once known as a reproach to God was now known for what? Their rejoicing in the Lord. Their rejoicing was heard far away. And this is important. We cannot separate joy from our ministries, our missions, and our evangelism. And the reason is because our joy is the best advertisement we have for Jesus Christ. When the world sees us, we're not fake. We're not serious all the time. We're not pretending to be happy all the time, either or. We're serious when we need to be. We're sad sometimes. We're not fake. But even in the midst of all of those difficult circumstances of life, we have hope and we have assurance and we have comfort and we're stable. And people look at us and they see, hey, lost people don't read the Bible. They read our lives. And when they see us as people that go through the same things they do, that have the same trials, the same troubles, the same circumstances, good times, bad times, when they see us go through all that and they see within us something different that they don't have and they recognize it, they want to know what that is. And when they see that, real people hurting, facing difficult circumstances along with the good, and they want to know what that is, that gives us the opportunity to point to our source of joy, which is Jesus Christ. Our joy is the best advertisement for Jesus that we have. We point to him and say he's the source. It's supernatural. It's beyond explanation. Another way to think of it is this. A life of celebration shows the real world that we are real people with a real connection to a real God. Hey, there's something different about you. When you talk about Jesus, and, and it's obvious that you obvious, I mean, you have some sort of connection to him. I mean, your life is different. You're not perfect, but it's different. It's because I've got a connection to God who is my source. Jesus lives in me. He's my source. People reading our lives are going to say, hey, you're celebrating in the midst of sorrow. You have hope in the midst of pain. Where does that come from? You know, someone once said, people don't need a definition of joy. I've given you that this morning. Maybe you didn't need that. But somebody once said, people don't need a definition of joy. They need a demonstration of joy. And we can provide that because we have joy. If you have Jesus, you have joy. People need a demonstration of that. I want to show you a picture of a lady. This is a great story. She, this is Annalisa Flanagan. All right, she holds the Guinness Book of World Record for having the loudest voice of any other human being in the world. I love my life, so I'm not going to say anything about this being a woman, okay? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I have no room to talk. I'm probably the loudest person in this room, okay? And I'm joking. But two things, okay? First of all, she's a school teacher. Can you imagine kids? You know, <laughs> she doesn't yell at her kids, though, they say. I mean, she, you know, she's doing this. Obviously, there's smiles on their faces. But she, I mean, she's amazing. Her voice registers at 121 decibels. That's as loud as a rock concert, okay? It's amazing. So she's a school teacher. I, I bet she has no trouble getting her kids' attention, you think? <laughs> Number two, she has a twin sister, whose voice is just slightly lower than hers, just a little bit. Can you imagine being these two girls' parents as teenagers when they were fighting? I mean, you might as well give it up. There's no way you're going to get their attention. But think about this. This lady, 
loudest voice any known human being, she has the ability with her voice to be heard from a farther distance than any other human being on this planet. That's, that's amazing. You know, I thought about that. And I thought about as believers, we should live loud our celebration, our joy for Jesus Christ. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to be serious. But when people look at us and when they look at this church, they, our rejoicing should be heard all over Madison City County, Huntsville City, all over the nation. Our celebration should be loud. Our rejoicing should be heard from far away. You know, if these walls could talk, I hope over the past nine weeks they've spoken to your heart. I hope they've challenged you as they have me. If these walls would talk, I hope that they will say, these people inside this room right here, they're not perfect. They don't have it all together. They don't walk around every day with a fake smile on their face. They don't pretend to be something they're not, but they're, they're growing every day. They don't have it all figured out, but they're each day becoming more like Christ. They have assurance in their life. They have joy. They have a celebration because of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, what he's promised to do in the future. If these walls could talk, I pray that they would talk about how our joy, our celebration can be heard from far away. You know, if these walls could talk, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about another set of walls that we've got coming in the future. There are walls in heaven that are made of precious stone. I want to encourage you, read Revelation 21 later today. The gates there are made of pearl. Inside those walls... There's no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. And, and if those walls, they are talking to us today, they're telling us, hey, you can be inside those walls, but the only way you can be inside those walls is if Jesus is inside of you right now. So if these walls could talk, I pray that they will speak to your heart, that the Holy Spirit will bring you under conviction and show you if you don't know Jesus, you desperately need a Savior. That's the only way you can be free from sin and death. If these walls could talk. You know, we like to camp at Nakalula Falls. How many of you have ever been to Nakalula Falls? I love, love camping there. And if you go to the park next to it, you know, with the petting zoo and all that, next to that is a, a place where you can, you, know, you can ride the train over there. And you, there's a little, uh, sort of like a little ravine, a little canyon that you can hike through. And it's rocks, you know. I mean, it's, it's uh, just a little trail that goes through there. And at one point in the trail, you're walking, it gets, and you've probably explored a cave or something similar to this, it narrows so much that you have to turn sideways to get through. But if you want to get to the other side, you've got to go through the narrow path. Well, if you want to be inside the walls of heaven, you've got to walk the narrow path on earth. The Bible talks about this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. You know, God is building His kingdom. He's building His church. He's, he wants to do it in this city, in this county, in this region. He wants to do it through you and me. But the only way that's possible is if Jesus Christ is in us. First of all, you need to know him as your Savior. Walking the narrow path on earth begins with accepting Jesus as the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. But then having Jesus in us means that we all together collectively are committed to focusing on him, to seeking his will 
and then obeying his will together as his people. If these walls could talk, I guarantee you they'd tell you God's got a big plan for you and for me that is so very dependent upon our trusting him and our obeying him. Let's live loud the joy that we have so that the nations hear our Jesus celebration.